This week, the That Podcast gang is eating ass and also cannibalizing people. It's Eating Raul on That Podcast Stays Up All Night. Welcome to That Podcast Stays Up All Night, where Long Pig is always on the menu. I'm your sommelier, Josh, and with me as always are Aura the Meat Grinder and Cody the Neighborhood Fed. Say hello. Hey, you put the, you put the raw meat into the, into the grinder and it just comes out the other end. Oh, uh, didn't know she was your wife. I just thought she was some good-looking wool. <laughs> we, we affected the same accent. <laughs> Fair enough. Hey, there's uh, several fun stereotypes to get into in this show. Oh, oh yeah. gosh. <laughs> so, every other week, that podcast stays up all night, gives you a modest proposal. A new podcast on a new film from the USA Up All Night's vault. USA Up All Night was the rep- televised repository of the weirdest horror, comedy, and thrillers that five bucks in a sandwich would buy. Of course, many of the these films were absolute trash, but once in a while, a legit cult classic would slip through. Enter Eating Raul, a movie with the odd distinction of being both an up-all-night movie and a Criterion Special Edition. What kind of plot could possibly bridge those worlds? Aura, give us the elevator pitch. Oh, well. Uh, mm. A pair <laughs> of repressed yuppies uh, chase the American dream of opening a restaurant. Also, S&M, swinging theft, murder, and cannibalism. So basically, an episode, your usual episode of Andy Griffith. Eating Raul's production history is really the story of two people, Paul Bartles and Mary Warrenov. Uh, Paul was a film student at UCLA uh, and also at the U.S. Army Signal Corps with a solid resume of short subjects stretching back to his high school years. His break as a feature director occurred when he made private parts. Uh, No, not the Howard Stern biopic for MGM. Uh, Though the film was shelved and shuffled repeatedly and did not do much business, it was produced by Gene Corman, whose brother, Roger Corman, took an interest in Paul's career. Bartle spent the 70s working for Corman's New World Pictures, directing Death Race 2000, among others, and appearing in in roles of various sizes in films like Eat My Dust, that one was with Opie, uh, Piranha by Joe Dante, and Rock and Roll High School. Uh, during this time, he met a young actress named Mary Warrenov via her husband, uh, who he was apparently friends with, according to an AV Club interview with Warrenov that I sourced a lot of this info from. Uh, Mary had a past as part of Andy Warhol's factory scene, uh, having appeared in the early classic art film Chelsea Girls, as well as several Theater of the Ridiculous live shows. Uh, I think she was a dancer also for the uh, Plastic Explosion, which was the the dance back up to Velvet Underground. Hmm. Uh, Paul invited her to audition for Corman, leading to parts in Death Race and Rock and Roll High School, uh, both of which we'll talk more about when we do the episodes on them, because they were both also up all night films, I believe. I love uh, Death Race 2000. Yeah, uh, Death Race 2000 is great, obviously. 
Uh, by the 80s, Bartles had enough clout to raise his own financing for indie pictures. Uh, according to Wikipedia, he preferred working outside of the system because he felt that his open homosexuality would prove a burden inside the industry. Uh, Eating Raul was Bartle's breakthrough film, earning $1.1 million on a 350000 budget and serving as proof of concept of his chops, allowing him to raise more for follow-up features and bringing in more acting work. Uh, Paul stars in Raul as Paul Bland, uh, and the rather severe Mary Warrenov appears as his wife, Mary Bland. Uh, of course, the supporting cast is equally strong. The Saint Elsewhere's Ed Begley Jr. as a hippie. Uh, graduate co-writer Buck Henry as a gross bank manager, and Robert Beltran raising some more money for the Maquis as the titular Raoul. So this may be the most storied film we have done yet for this show, with an iconic poster and about 40 years as a cult classic. Uh, what have you guys heard of this one going into the watch? I feel like I may have seen this one when it was on Up All Night. Not really like possible. Uh, I remember when I pat I passed the the thing off to Cody. I was asking. I was like, I was like, if they cut out all of the sex stuff, like I don't, I have no idea what's left in this movie. Like it was only an hour and <laughs> minutes long or something already. <laughs> so yeah. Well, I mean, uh, they'd have to, the, the the parts with actual nudity would be relatively small. I suppose, but there there is that scene which we'll inevitably have to talk about that was probably a little too intense for USA. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that was kind of plot pivotal. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I, mean, we'll, I feel like you could cut around it if you were very careful. I'm sure we'll like talk about a lot of that stuff after we go through like synopsis and some more stuff. Because there was, we definitely had some reactions in the room about that. And we had some interesting discussions. Oh, you watched it with people? Yeah. Oh, this I want to hear. Go on. <laughs> uh, just, I mean, the the people you... The, oh, my, yeah, yeah, no. Haley your story's not interesting anymore at all. Thanks. Yep. Your, your house people? Yeah, Haley and my brother watched it with me. And, uh, I mean, do you want me to say, like, what we thought about, like, that part? That was... I most know. of the time, they were playing... I think we can get into that more in the, in the synopsis and reaction section. Yeah. I don't want to be a, a stickler. <laughs> it's, well, I mean, we'll get it. Obviously, I guess we haven't said it already, but uh, we spoil stuff on the show and we swear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's your warning. Uh, we're nine minutes in <laughs> now. Maybe some, yeah. some more Probably or less Probably the earliest time. the spoiler swear thing has gone off recently. <laughs> well, we don't usually do the spoilers. I assume that people know we're going to spoil and swear if we're doing Up All Night. I mean... <laughs> I don't know. They don't saw it on Up All Night. We don't know how, how much they censored. That's true. <laughs> these, are, these are sleazy movies. Yeah. I mean, they did censor them, but they were still... I, mean, I remember one of the earlier ones we did, Monster High, I watched for sure when it was on USA Up All Night, and you didn't get to see any like inappropriate subject, but it was still obvious what was happening. Yeah. Like, yeah. It was still raping those women. It just wasn't <laughs> on screen. Yeah. I, I feel like this might have been on Comedy Central, too. It's entirely possible. It had a... It, it was it was a bit out of print for a while too, uh, until the two thousands when D, when DVD started to make films like it was out of print in the way that stuff like Racerhead was out of print, hmm. like these cult cult movies that didn't get big VHS releases because VHS was more geared towards rental and the uh, and the family audience. 
Yeah, so I guess I'll say, like, I've never seen this at all. I've never seen, like, a trailer or, uh, like, I haven't seen memes of this. That's the other thing. Sometimes with, like, cult classics, I've heard the name for sure, like, but more in reference just, like, passively uh, to, like, maybe scamming people or just kind of, like, an indirect reference to cannibalism. So I definitely thought there was going to be a lot more people eating, like, more <laughs> – because the the yeah. synopsis, the quick synopsis is like it's two people that are trying to open a restaurant. So my brain automatically went like, "Oh, Sweeney Todd situation." But the the title There's, itself is kind of a misnomer, but it's more just that like sexual pun yeah. type of thing. Technically, it's kind of a it's kind of a spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> In its own title. Right. Uh, I can't. That. About, I. I did everything I could to keep that from Cody when I handed him off the disc because he was, he, he was, he was like, he wanted to talk about it a little bit. And my first re gut reaction was going to be like, well, this title is a fucking liar. Um, <laughs> but, but it's I was like, lie. it's not, not a lie. That's fair. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I was waiting the whole movie to eat Raul and uh, you know, it eventually happens, I suppose. I I feel like that's kind of like the weird, <laughs> I don't know, pivotal twist at the very end. Yeah. It's, as far as my encounter with it, I can't, I'm not sure exactly when I watched it. It wasn't that long ago. It was within the last like five years or so, I think. And it was, I don't remember if I waited until the Criterion channel started or if I was watching like, because Hulu used to have a bunch of Criterion stuff. They had to deal with them. But it was through Criterion, and I was like, okay, let's, you know, I've, I've seen the poster, because did you guys see the poster, the very iconic, like, the, I don't know what DVD you were handing off. The frying the Criterion pan. one. Yeah, with the, the Criterion is the frying pan, not the, like, the, the lips with the leg hanging out. It's both. Okay. Yeah. So the, like, I'd see that poster everywhere, like, from when I was a kid at video stores and stuff. So. Well, I didn't know, I've known of the movie for a long time. I didn't realize there was all the other connections too with like Joe Dante and everything else. Now that's the criterion. Yeah, well, that's, that's the Corman stuff, which will, which will be another theme running throughout. Mm. Yeah, that's not the exact theatrical poster. Let me see if I can find the theatrical poster and pull that up for you guys. Well, that's perfect now because we'll have like a header and a cover image for the show. But yeah, I uh, like when it when it starts and they it's it's pretty easy to pick up the the idea of the movie i think that's the other thing too like the presentation of this movie compared to the rest of the movies it's like it's kind of the same quality as far as budget it's like nothing really 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 insane or crazy happens maybe there's like two or three things that they probably spent some money on for for stunt's sake in this movie there's like a bunch of really fancy cars i feel like that's the most expensive thing and like one shot of the entire movie and you could easily have borrowed those yeah. but like a first movie out of probably what like 20 of these movies that we watched that had fucking subtitles well because it had a real movie edition this, this yeah. is the post that i was talking about it's part of the visual element that was on the criterion oh yeah it's like the, the large text that surrounds the, the foot hanging out of an open mouth and the checkerboard yellow shade background. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, the other one doesn't have the, the checkerboard. And I like the addition of the frying pan. We all agreed after we watched the movie that we like really liked the the frying pan on the cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they could, and like most Criterion covers, it's it's really it's a really good arty version of it of the of the advertising for it, which is sort of yeah. what Criterion's packaging often specializes in. Mm-hmm. I really like my copy of the Seventh Seal for the same reason. It looks really cool. It's all well and good, but I do have an appointment with a uh, cruel Carla coming up in a bit here. Uh, let's move this along uh, and get to the synopsis uh, after the job. Whenever you have a sinister urge, burrito, burrito, and it needs to be satisfied. Nine one one. And you don't mind explosive diarrhea. Oh, that's enough of that. Thanks. It's time for Burrito 911, the food cart on the go. We're only in place long enough for the cops to get called. Here at Burrito 911, we know you care about ethically sourced food. Sure, whatever hippie shit people are talking about nowadays. That's why we promised that no livestock suffered to bring you your meal. Only free-range meat sources. Do we have to say meat source? Legally, I, I believe we do. Of course, great food will only take you so far. At Burrito 911, customer satisfaction is job one. Job two is amateur colonoscopy. In fact, whenever anyone asks what the most valuable asset here is at Burrito 911, we always say the same thing. It's people. Don't read anything into that. Uh, so just give us a call and come down and have a bit of your neighbors. Don't you mean with your neighbors? That too. Oh, and try our new Happier Meals with special surprises from the films Eating Raul, Delicatessen, and Alive. I found a watch band in my quesaria villa. Is this my prize? Uh, sure, kid. Sure. We're cannibals, is the joke. Get it? Joke? Welcome back to That Podcast Stays Up All Night, where the secret ingredient is love. Courtney Love. Cody, make like a tree and synopsisize. All right. I'm now going to do the impressive feat of live synopsisizing this film. Isn't it impressive? Shouldn't you all applaud for me right now? <laughs> He's still looking it up. That's why he needs to kill time, Josh. <laughs> no, no, no. no, no. Wait, wait. Can, I know it's a podcast, but for the other two hosts, you can see my hands. I have no... I have no device that is not propped up by a stand in front of me. <laughs> all right, all right. <clears throat> all right, the beginning of the movie. <laughs> Are you ready? Are you ready to receive I my don't, teachings? I don't know if I'm ready. <laughs> we watched the same movie. I, uh, yeah, I... I th- there are times when I think we watch the same movie, and then there are other times where I wonder if we watch the same movie. <laughs> Especially me and Josh sometimes. But <laughs> well, I know that we watch the same movie. But for the sake of the show, why don't why don't you remind them of how the movie started? Uh, how did uh, the the movie starts uh, with them musing about trying to open a restaurant and like uh-uh. g- go legit, mm-hmm. wasn't it? No. Oh, then, it's, uh, then it's selling the wine, I believe, is the. Uh, oh yes, yes, because they're trying oh, to make see, rent. We see Paul, and we should say Mary and Paul Bland are the main characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul is working at a uh, wine shop, and he and is. Uh, I you definitely think it's a fancier place at first because he's the only one behind the counter and he's wearing a suit, 
Uh, but then clearly his manager comes over and he is wearing a Hawaiian shirt, not unsimilar to Aura's. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of clear that he works. And actually, this one I don't remember as well because I was making lunch while, while I started this movie today so re- for the rewatch. But it's, it's clear that he cares more about it. The, the shop he's at just kind of wants to sell liquor. Yeah. And he's so, trying to be like a wine sommelier. Some Boone's Farm equivalent, right? The, uh, yeah. the starting uh, 10 minutes of this movie very, very quickly sets you up for the rest of the film because the, the bad wine brand is Mountain Brook. A random customer is trying to buy a bottle of wine. And uh, Sam, is that his name? <laughs> Paul. Paul, because it's, it's his real name, right? <laughs> Yes, the, it's the director. Both, both characters are by their real first name. Ah, okay, gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. The Warhol girl. Mary Warhol girl, last name. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, he basically tells him like, oh, you shouldn't buy this one. I recommend you this, this new one. And then, you know, the guy in the cheap Hawaiian shirt yells at him, clearly in front of a customer. And Paul keeps trying to say, you know, oh, I think, you know, I think that, you know, we need to help somebody. And it is a black gentleman who is then robbing them. Uh, and to which the Hawaiian shirt gentleman immediately pulls out a gun and smokes the assailant and just kills somebody in the first eight minutes of the movie. And that's just the introduction of what Paul does at his job. Yeah. So then you are introduced to Mary, who is a nurse. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe she's just doing a routine checkup, but it's kind of hard to distinguish her scenes because really every scene is just like this awful display of men just like not being able to avoid paw, literally like pawing all over her. She is a nurse at the horniest hospital in the world. And a patron of the horniest bank in the world. Mm Mm-hmm. Everything, this is an interesting thing in the film, is there's this recurring theme of swingers who appear to be fucking everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) You claim to to have grew up in the 80s and 90s, Josh, but did you really? Because this is exactly how I remember the 80s and 90s. I mean, I was four at the time this film came out. I don't (laughs) remember seeing Leisure Suit Larry fucking everywhere, but... Yeah, but how many times did you have... uh fondue for dinner <laughs> I had microwave hot dogs for dinner mouse nights that's what I wanted to eat that sounds like a it's always sunny in Philadelphia type orgy pocket dogs <laughs> pocket dogs so uh, <laughs> yeah so Mary works at a hospital everybody the the person who she is first introduced with is somebody who literally ends up uh, later, like just getting her address from a coworker and just straight up following her home. Uh, but well, that ties around later uh, at their apartment, they get in the elevator and it just loads up with a huge elevator amount, whatever that unit of measurement is full of people. It's a big elevator too. Yeah. A, a lot enough to get every walk of life that you might particularly see walking down to a uh, swingers party. But uh, they realize that they're all on the same floor. And so of course this ends up with like multiple people accidentally just walking into their apartment 
And uh, this is where the common theme is introduced that nobody in the swinger lifestyle accepts the phrase no, it would seem. Yeah. Uh, that it only seems to excite them and agitate them more. And that uh, every single male is some <laughs> voyeuristic, I'm going to sit in the corner type person. Because like the first person just walks in and immediately is grabbing the guy and like pushing him out of the way. It's like, oh, don't worry, you can have her next. Yeah, he's like, go over to this party. So uh, they we don't meet keep... Debbie the domin or uh, Doris the dominatrix. Yeah. So he, Briefly. the first person gets like punched in the nads, and then he throws up on their carpet, and uh, he goes off to the bathroom. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know, blah blah blah. I didn't realize this was going on. And at the same time, the, their door is unlocked because they're expecting somebody who is supposed to be selling them their new restaurant location, which is now like introduced heavy that that's what they need money for. They hate these dirty hippies. These two people are definitely squares. Their last name is Bland. Yeah. And they want to leave what I think it's supposed to be New York. You go to California. Mm hmm. Yeah. There will be remember. no swingers there. But, yeah, <laughs> right? But they don't, they don't have any money. <laughs> yeah. They're very poor, and they just lost their uh, they just lost their credit card. Yeah, and it is also introduced that their rent is being raised $175 a month, and that's why. And they're, another thing to blame the swingers on is because they're like, oh, our apartment can like up hike the rent because these people are just always like coming and going. They're like, oh, it's a they're a real drain on society. Uh, Which I mean, the failure of rent control isn't exactly to blame on swingers, I think, but it's an interesting <laughs> take. Yeah, it seemed like a stretch. <laughs> but they, uh, right off the bat, they don't seem exactly like hero types either. Like, not necessarily no, not that you're, people. <laughs> yeah, that you're, you're not really rooting for anyone in this movie. You're just kind of watching it. Yeah, it's important to note that while the swingers are like a weird roving gang of rapists, the, the Blands are so repressed that they sleep in different beds with stuffed toys. Yeah. <laughs> he I is, mean, there's... they are the... And it, we'll get into more talking about the symbolism, I think, after this, but like they are the sort of move to... A, a more provincial morality, let's say, in, in Reagan's era, away from the 70s. Yeah, there's, it definitely feels like they're trying to say something there, but both of their performances, I mean, hers not so much, but his especially plays into the whole, like, dark comedy, dry wit aspect. He really doesn't, even during these kind of crazy situations, he, he doesn't really express, like, a lot of shock, I guess I would say. He's, he, he like gets agitated, certainly, but he doesn't ever look angry, which I think it like kind of lends itself to some of the comedy aspects of the rest of the movie. Yeah. So anyway, he, he is escorting this other gentleman back to the party, and of course he gets roped in, and there's a uh, caricature of a dominatrix who has a whip, and she like whips him around by the neck and is like, lick my heel, you worm. Uh, and somehow he gets her business card, and while this is going on, the guy, the drunk guy that he escorted back literally, like, runs back to the bedroom where he knows now that this is not the swinger party. He's just going to go attack this woman anyway. And uh, when, by the time uh, 
Paul returns. He's, you know, basically on top of his uh, wife, on top of Mary, and he just kind of taps him very lightly. It really doesn't seem like he hits him hard with a frying pan. And this yeah. uh, kills the pervert. And you noted the first one drowned in the toilet as well. No, he didn't. Did leave him in there? I he think. No, no, no. He, they think he drowns in the toilet, so they call the police, which I thought was going to end up circling back, oh, yeah. but it definitely doesn't. And they realize okay. he's not, so he, yeah, he escorts him back to the huh. party, and that's the same guy that comes back to attack her. Okay, that's right. There's a lot of plot threads in this fucking movie. <laughs> While he is unconscious in the toilet, that's when they first go through his wallet, and they realize he has a bunch of money on him. So then when they actually yeah. kill him is when they start, like, looking through it, and they're like, oh, we should take this. And they're like, yeah, well, somebody's going to come now and we can't like put it all back. Because at that point, once they killed the first guy is when the restaurant real estate agent shows up. That's right. And so then they start kind of moving along that plot and they start thinking, uh, you know, maybe something else happens. Uh, it happens just like again, just like back to back. I feel like somebody just comes well, into their apartment. I think it's, you might be thinking of the bank thing. Which was oh, the next yeah. Morning. They, they, they're like, okay, we, uh, before they degrade themselves or they get yeah. on with the rest of the movie. Because yeah, the realtor is like, you have to make so much money. You have to have so much money. To yeah. Put a down payment. And if you don't soon, somebody else will buy it. So Paul tries to, shit. yeah, Paul tries to sell some of his wine collection and like very obviously gets robbed in the process of like doing that. They steal all the wine. And while he's doing that, she goes to try to get a bank loan. And the guy just like attacks her in kind of the same way. She's asking for a bank loan. He can kind of see through her shirt. It's kind of like a sheer material. I think the idea is that the, the Doris, because she has the dominatrix card, the Doris, the dominatrix card. Yeah, but I, think, I don't know if they the make hospital. it explicit, but I think that the idea is that it got mixed in with her loan app materials. Because oh. the guy seems to think that he's going to buy something. They never show it explicitly. But like what I took from that scene was that that guy thinks that he's purchasing a dominatrix of some kind. I have no idea. But yeah, before, be wrong. before this, she's at the hospital leaving to go do the loan. And it's That's, the patient she was checking up on before. And she yeah. drops her, he bumps into her and her purse spills everywhere. And she has the dominatrix card that, uh, that Paul took home from the other night. And so that's mm -hmm. when he asks her coworker, Hey, what's her at? Like just straight up. What's her address? And the guy at the bank is Buck Henry, by the way. Is he in a bunch of other stuff? Yes, he was a... a we'll talk to it about it a little later, but he was a very uh, well-known actor and writer and director at some point. Gotcha. But yeah, so then it's it's the bank loan, and she uh, she stabs him with something, like scissors or something that's on the desk, like at the back of his shoulder. It's not like she doesn't get him all the way in, but... Yeah. Uh, She's screaming, so somebody comes rushing in, and of course the bank is like, the bank guy's like, oh, I just told her she couldn't have a loan, and she attacked me, and blah, blah, blah. And then he invites her to another, the other woman who comes into the room, invites her to a swinger party. Everybody yeah. is swingers. Like, well, he's, and I love the bit where he's inviting her to the party, because like, his hand gestures are like air cupping her boobs, basically. Yeah. Like, like two inches away from just like honking. It's also hard to tell like, if this is everything. It's important to note that everything in this movie is a fucking caricature. <laughs> yeah. And it plays that way. Everybody is like a, a scumbag or like 
a, an uptight person who's secretly out to get somebody or a con man of some sort. Like, like the abusive, like the bank teller abusive boss guy. He isn't like, oh, you know, casually like, oh, secretary, do you want to go to this party? He's like, do you want to go to this party? And also, I am like two inches of air away from grabbing your breasts. <laughs> He's definitely just You're not noticing his... this is literally not possible. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, all of that stuff repeats a lot, but uh, they go home after like a defeated night, and then the person who found her out. It's a small detail, but as they're walking in, they pass Raul coming out of another apartment with with a, like a stereo or something under his arm, and they just sort of look at each other, and then he just walks out, and they keep going with their walk and talk. Yeah. Uh, and it's fucking great because it's just a little bit of like, obviously he's a con man and they saw him uh, robbing a fucking place. Yeah, it's like a place from where they live anyway because they encounter that uh, the slip later on their car. Yep. <laughs> and they pay so little attention to their world that they're fucking took in by this guy they watched rob someone. Well, that's that's not exactly how like... I mean, he's there, but that's not their first introduction to him. Yeah. The the titular Ralph. Because first they, they go home and they get attacked one more time by this other guy. So they, they kill him quicker. And that's they get the money from his wallet as well, which ends up almost being $1,000 between the two people they kill. And that's where they look at the uh, dominatrix card and decide, okay, well, maybe this person has some answers. So they, they decided to set up a business luring in rich perverts and murdering them. Yeah. They're like, oh, we could pull this off. Like, clearly these people. And so far, every single encounter they've had in this movie is some form of an attack. So it's not, yeah. uh, it doesn't really seem like that far of a stretch at first. They do seem to live in rape, though. That's certainly true. I, mean, I, I also have to say that the scene where they visit the dominatrix is possibly my favorite. Mm-hmm in the film because they go to visit her and she's just a mom. Yeah. Like she's just around the house, like caring for her kid. It's like a nice she, house. She treats like, all of it. It's like, yeah, it's a job. You got to be careful. <laughs> she asks them what they do. And she's like, Oh yeah, you can make a lot more money in, in my racket. She obviously doesn't know that they're like killing them, but she's, she gives them advice on where to put a uh, want ad for their services. Basically. Yeah. It's, yeah. They're not being honest with, with Doris as to what they're doing. It kind of reminds me of... Love uh, that scene so much. Have you seen the movie For a Good Time Call? I've heard of it. I'm not sure if I've seen it. It's 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 a more modern movie. I think it's like... It's maybe produced by Seth Rogen or like... Uh, it's like Kevin Smith adjunct people. And okay. it's two girls that like live in New York and they decide to start their own like phone sex line to pay for rent. And they have a, a lot of very similar like story beats where they're like, oh, we have this idea and they started off kind of small and then this like crazy escalation happens. A lot of this movie is montage. It is. <laughs> and, it, and the plot travels a lot of ground. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they're putting out ads for Cruel Carla and Naughty Nancy. Mm-hmm. So they immediately get a massive stack of letters and they start bringing people into their homes. And uh, after they visit uh, the dominatrix, the, you know, the caring mom character, they see this flyer on their window 
for a locksmith service that's like, oh, it's $12.95. They talk a lot about the price and how normally locksmithing costs like $30 and they should definitely check on this Rowell person. And so then they go home and the next scene is him like immediately showing up at their house after they had called him and uh, bursting through and he's wearing like this bright red speed suit with zippers and his name like Raul on it. And he immediately walks in and starts looking all around their place. And it's like the very obvious con man questions of asking about where their valuables are. <laughs> yeah. Their routine this, when they'll be home. And this is Robert Beltran, uh, Beltran, uh, as, as we've alluded to in, in his other appearance in a film we did night, night of the comet where he was working with Mary Warrenov again. Uh, he, he's also he was on Star Trek Voyager. Mm-hmm. He's got he's, he's got like Chicago. stuff on his face, right? Uh, I just I just there's can't. a fun fact I and trivia about. Still, yeah, I still can't see it. You know, there will be a fun fact about Voyager in the uh, <laughs> in the trivia this time. Don't look ahead, Aura. Oh, stay, I'm not. Stay tuned, listeners. If you're a Trekkie, <laughs> so yeah, they they go back and forth. He. Uh, he spikes the price on them, of course, and he gaslights them about like, oh, you need, you know, stuff on your windows and, and you know, bars on the windows too, and that's going to cost more. But, oh, I can definitely fix the locks like right now. So this is when they go to sleep and we find out that they sleep in separate beds with like color print sheets and pillowcases. another great bit. <laughs> and they have matching, they definitely have matching pajamas too. Uh, like the exact same type of like button up wide collar pajamas. So then that night Raul breaks in and in his snooping around discovers like the two bodies and uh, like lights a cigarette and wakes them up and like takes them into the kitchen. Is like, all right, you got to explain to me what's going on here. And it's, it's kind of weird that that's, he's planning on robbing him and that's what he decides to do. <laughs> yeah. He's trying to figure out what the angle is. Yes. <laughs> so he asks them about the angle and they, they pretty they confess like pretty much immediately to him, which is interesting. But it's it's kind of one of those like, well, why do you have two bodies here? It's like, well, why are you in our house at three AM in the middle of the night, guy? <laughs> so they uh he's like, Oh well, I can dispose of these bodies for you if you give me a profit like a cut of what uh what you're getting for them when you lure them in. And so uh, it works. They do it the first time and it seems to work pretty fine. So that's now our first montage of like putting on insane outfits and crazy situations. And I'm sure other celebrity cameos that went over my head as they uh, bonk people on the head with a frying pan. Not a lot. The next big one was the hippie, which was at Begley Jr. Well, I, I, I got that, which one. is, we'll be talking about that one. Yeah, the, meth- the method of death each time bonk on the head with a frying pan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so cartoony. It's, uh, it's it's worth noting that Rule is bringing in more money too, but they don't know how. He's giving them yeah. like more money once he's disposed of everything. Yeah, he's giving them a larger cut, and that's part of it too. He brings them like seven hundred dollars the first night because they do two a night, two different people. Oh. So some scenes get a little bit longer, uh, like some things go, I wouldn't say sort of wrong, but kind of, they, they, it just continues to escalate. They get, a, each time they, they, it gets a little bit easier, it gets a little bit more like methodical, they clean up their act. There's one where 
they have uh, oh they have like Nazi stuff everywhere and that's when Raul breaks in is after the first night is like a, a guy yeah. who wants to be a baby and then the second person is a Nazi person so Raul when Raul is breaking into the apartment I totally forgot there's like Covered not only Nazi. is there that's a huge right. Nazi flag but they have like Nazi throw pillows and then as Raul is talking with them and he like the bodies are in trash bags like in their kitchen every single shot is hilarious because it's like him going through the cupboards and there's like Nazi signs on the cups that they like, you could tell they just put on and there's a Nazi swastika on the uh, lampshade too. I remember thinking that that was like, man, there's, there's so much detail in the background of these scenes just for the sake of like this joke that you, this uh, lampshades, that's kind of a, you don't want a Nazi lampshade. <laughs> Maybe you don't. It's certainly the nope. full commitment. Their uh, their happy home designer rating would be like probably S tier on uh, Animal Crossing. Got all the pieces together. Uh, SS tier, I think you mean. <laughs> <laughs> that that Hugo boss, he had some ideas. <laughs> so uh, they they continue to do this, and uh, one night. They, uh, they're talking about how it seems like they're kind of running into a standstill. Uh, the guy calls them, and I guess they need more money, or they need the money sooner than they expected. Yeah. And, uh, they're talking about how they got stiffed on this hippie person. They spent like $70 on this light show. There's all this like trippy stuff that's happening. And uh, it seems like he's running late. So Paul decides that he's going to go to the store to get something to eat, which we all agreed unanimously seemed like a really quick jump to assume that it was fine and that he just wasn't going to show up at all at any point in time. Yeah. It's probably a bad idea. You know? Cons considering what like, they had planned and their setup and the fact that they're not having sex with any of these people at all. Like maybe get a snack, man. Yeah. So, uh, so enter, uh, I think his name is Sitwell from Arrested Development. Yeah. That is Ed Bagley. Yeah. And, uh, he's the hippie person, but, uh, Quickly, when uh, she like is trying to tell him no and that he's late and all this other stuff, uh, it's kind of revealed that he's definitely not a hippie and he's more of a uh, regular businessman pretending to be a hippie, whose fantasy is to like he's, uh, scream and yell at her about Vietnam. And he has uh, bad ideas about consent. Yeah. So this is the first time you see her fully naked too. Is like he rips off her clothes. So it's definitely more of an aggravated assault than we have seen so far in the movie. And uh, it's right at that point then that uh, out of shot, he seems to be pulled back and it's Raul who has entered and is uh, strangling him. So he say, Raul saves the day and then convinces the uh, very shaken Mary to smoke the tie stick that Ed <laughs> brought in with him. And then they have sex. Yeah. And uh, it, it should be noted that there's hints of like a sexual chemistry between them mm -hmm. before in the film. And he's yeah. certainly interested. Well, he's interested, but it's kind of hard to tell from her the separation since every single male character is like obsessed yeah. with her. She, she seems not, not super into sex in general in the movie. Yeah. Um, well, except unless there's this tie character. stick involved. Yeah, <laughs> Raul. I don't think she has sex with uh, Paul like once in the entire movie. Nope. She says something to about their relationship is based more like on friendship. But she says more important things than sex. 
I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, in the film they were like, we've never had sex. I'd have been like, yep, these people have never had sex. They sleep in separate beds. But, uh, so yeah, so they have sex. And then the following day, he goes immediately to see her at work for a checkup. And of course, they uh, he kind of like convinces her to do it again. More tie stick. Yeah, more tie stick. And at this point, Paul becomes suspicious. So Paul decides to start tailing uh, yeah. Raul. And here's another it, montage. One, one quick little thing, too. Uh, Raul does say when he's trying to convince her to have sex that, like, if uh, if she doesn't, he'll have to go and, and tell her husband yeah. what they were doing because he's a hot-blooded Latino, which is uh, maybe not great. Yeah, say he says that. a different but, phrase, but there's a couple of different uh, phrases thrown around. Lines. He refers to like hot Latin blood or something at some he's, point. It's he calls himself cool. like a, a hot uh, hot-blooded Chicano. That's what it is. Yeah, hot-blooded Chicano. But uh, Paul um, uses a word to describe Raul later in the movie that is definitely not uh, not. Yeah, okay no, that word thing. is not okay, and we're not going to say it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Pretty common does... slur for Kansas, too, to, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. What I want to say is that it's sort of what the film is saying, and just arguably is problematic, uh, is that Mary is super repressed, and she's requiring excuses to have sex with this guy that she finds attractive mm-hmm. like, so she needs to be like oh i'm i'm all i'm all wacky on the tie stick and i'm being blackmailed so i have to and that's how she presents it later to her husband. yeah yeah it's not even, like I've, I've cheated on you even at the very end when she is like quote unquote admitting to him what happened she is still she still lies about the circumstances uh but after after this paul basically learns the rest of raul's scheme which is he is taking the car keys from the pockets of everybody. And besides giving the meat to a dog food company where like the bodies are being disposed of, he's also selling each one of these cars for like a tremendous profit. So yeah. uh, he tries, uh, Paul tries to tell Mary and she just brushes it off. Cause at this point they've like hooked up twice and it's definitely played that more stuff happens. They definitely have a different sort of, repartee from that point on i think actually this is the point at which they get the call for the escalation yeah going into third act that they have to get the money quicker yeah then then somebody lets them know that uh they're or the same the restaurant guy so they decide to go to this uh i don't know if it's through the banker if it's through somebody else that they know but they find out that there's this huge swinger party and they decide to try to make a bunch more money than they could with raul Oh, it's uh, it's from the dominatrix. That's right, because they go because they show up with her. Yeah. <laughs> he uh, Paul goes to seek her out and like tell her that he wants to set some something else up, and she's like, "Oh yeah, you can come to here." So this is another menagerie of all sorts of things. Uh, this movie is really okay with bestiality. They bring that up a lot. I don't think it's okay with it. I think it says that these people are doing it. But I, I do think it thinks that it's not good that they're doing it. Well, they use the uh, some swingers, uh, very like nice seeming swingers, try to talk to them very polite, and they're like, "Oh, they're trying to figure out who's the richest, so they can kill like one person and get away with a bunch of money." And uh, they're trying to figure it out by clothes, and they compliment compliment this person's outfit, and she's like, "Oh no, this is from like the sale rack at Penny's," and then they're like, "Oh, well, we're into you know dog stuff," 
uh, I think, what does he say, Great Danes or something? Because that was the guy from earlier. Yeah, something like that. And that, that makes the, the swingers beg off. Yeah. But even when they back off, they're like, oh, okay. That's Yeah, nice. I mean, they're not like, we're calling the police now. They're like, you know, there's probably somebody here who's better for you. Yeah. And uh, they, they mill about the party, and there's all sorts of, like, degrees of background jokes and uh, non-consent stuff. But uh, eventually, uh, they kind of, like, split off, and Mary makes her way into the bathroom, where the banker guy is emerging from the shower, but he's fully clothed, and there's definitely an unconscious girl on the floor in the shower. But then the door is closed, and it's one of those opaque shower doors. So right off the bat, I have no idea what that is in reference to. If he is allegedly a, a, also a murderer or something, they don't ever touch uh, I mean, on it. I would assume that he raped an unconscious girl. Oh, Jesus Christ. But yeah, I, so he's, he's not a good person. Nobody, yeah. This film only works if you accept that nobody in it is a good person, except maybe Dominatrix Doris, who doesn't seem to have hurt anyone. Yeah, but she she's not going to make Anyone it that didn't want it, I should. <laughs> right. Uh, so she stabs him because he obviously like attacks her pretty much on site and then dumps him out the window. So they're like, so she meets back up with Paul. And they're like, oh, we got to go collect this body. And right when they're doing that, the, the swinger host who has presented himself is like the most obnoxious person in the world. Of a oh, he is such a prick. <laughs> yeah, that, that part is pretty funny. But he gets everybody out in the hot tub and he sees that they're not in. He's like, hey, you know, no squares, blah, blah, blah. Like, you got to get in or you got to get out. And they're all hassling and heckling him. So very, very quickly, Paul grabs this giant uh, outdoor heater and chucks it into this huge full hot tub of people. And it electrocutes every single one of them. They all instantly die. <laughs> and yep. uh, then the uh, the next scene is them calling their own fence uh, after they've like taken all of the money out of every single person's wallet and they uh, sell all of their cars. Oh, uh, their car is missing a door because Raul, when he is talking to Mary at some point in time, is like, "Oh, what if I, like Paul gets taken out of the equation? Would you and me still have our arrangement?" And she's like, "Oh, my, I don't know. I guess so." Raul definitely like attempts to run over Paul at one point in time and they lose the door on their yeah. car. So he's they wearing sell... like a lucha mask or something. <laughs> yeah, he's wearing like a, a lucha libre mask. But yeah, they call they they call like a car wrecker place to pull up a like a fucking car carrier and yeah. load up everything from the party. So yeah, they get a they get a huge amount of money and a brand new car. And they get home, and they're kind of celebrating a little bit. And uh, as soon as they get further into their apartment, Raul is waiting for them and uh, realizes that they have more money. And he's like, I've, you know, I've been watching you. You're trying to cut me out. And uh, I don't know. There's a stereotypical struggle. I'm trying to – I can't even remember fully It's not even happens. much of a struggle. He's just like, you know, well, I'm sure that she's going to pick me. Because, oh, that's uh, right. It cuts, and you don't know who who she bonks, and then all yeah, of a sudden you see Paul walk into the room with the box, and it's like, oh, okay. I mean, I think it was it's pretty clear that she yeah. was gonna fucking kill Raul. For one, it's in the fucking title of the movie. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, <laughs> so I I thought there was definitely going to be a lot more wrap up at that point, but like almost immediately, their uh, their real estate guy is there to collect the money, and they're like. Oh, that's right. We invited him to dinner. Oh, what do we do? We don't have anything. 
And uh, then it's immediately cuts to the dinner and they're being very obviously coy about the fact that they killed Raul and they're feeding him to their real estate guy. And then the movie ends and they get away with it. And you see their, uh, they bought their restaurant. They get their fancy restaurant. Yep. We get a nice uh, black and white, not, not entirely black and white, but mostly black and white with a few color elements still. It reminds me of the end Pull of out. The Shining when you see yeah. the, <laughs> the picture. And then the words Bon Appetit appear. Bon Appetit. They also refer to the dish that they make of Raul as Spanish. Because they ask, he's like, is this French? And they go Spanish. Yeah. And, and then the guy's like, this is, it's kind of exciting. And, and Mary's like, yes, it, 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 uh, it is. Tender, all and sorts of, it's, it's tender, back and forth it's like every uh, <laughs> double entendre you could about uh, a good meal, but also you're eating a human being. And then, and then Paul is like, it's amazing what you can do with cheap meat. <laughs> it's just, it's really yeah. great and petty. This, I will say also, uh, like I said, obviously that's just the synopsis, but I do think that this is one of the most funny in the way that they mean to make the jokes funny on purpose movies that we have watched. For this show, almost certainly. <laughs> yeah. Like without a doubt. And it's, it it's, has that it has every bit of those up all night like tropes of the way that like it presents sex of the way that uh the violence happens in this like very comical low budget way but it is so much more self-aware i think yeah it's kind of it's an what i think about it's an interesting mix like you almost think when you're watching it like i think you know, that maybe it doesn't belong on a show like this, that like, you know, it's a, a cult classic film, but I think that it kind of represents the crossover between like exploitation cinema in the 60s and 70s kind of was in independent cinema. Like that's why people like Joe Dante, who got their start working for Corman, went on to become big mainstream filmmakers. Like mm-hmm. it was sort of their equivalent of like Kevin Smith's works. You know, it's like, or, or or Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs. It was like, this is your indie apprenticeship, and then you move into the into into indie wood. And there's a reason why things like this, or things like you know, Gremlins or Piranha, still stick around as like the best of like those kind of goofier yeah. type of horror comedy movies. And it's oh, yeah. because it's like they they hit those same marks that everybody else was also trying to copy but like they do it more effectively yeah because there's you know when you get a bunch of random people into making your indie films and you're like this uh this factory like corman not everybody is going to be good but some percentage of them are and corman actually had a good eye for talent like that was one of his great assets as a producer like he picked out a lot of like if you look up all the people that he fucking started a career of it is a long fucking list and there's there's definitely a thing with like cinephiles and especially in modern history where if your like live action movie is an exact hour and a half 90 minutes like you can almost guarantee that that movie sucks it's like no movie under two hours can possibly be any good if it's not like an animated film or something like that but uh this this movie doesn't have a lot of like unnecessary scenes or things that need to be cut it all like serves the either character development or furthering the plot yeah, the, the plot is complex but it's intricately 
One thing that surprised me when I was doing background research on this was that I don't think Paul Bartles had much of a theatrical background. Mm-hmm. But I, I felt this was a very theatrical film, like both in the performances, which are very wry in New York and stagey, uh, which makes sense because both Paul and Mary were from New York originally. I don't know if the film was supposed to be set there, but that's where they were from. And they have, there's a New York sensibility, let's say, about this movie. Yeah. Um, that, that like kind of, uh, it's that like normalcy of, like, even though yeah. we're being attacked and even though we're killing people, it's like, oh, whatever. Like, we still have to, like, live our life. You gotta... Well, and most most of it takes place in a living room, so that could be just a, sta- you know, staged just as easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was a musical version produced of this at one point. God, I, I imagine it was fairly easy to stage. Because, uh, because that, you're right, all right. It, it is a very, very limited set pieces. I would put this like exactly in that in the kind of area of like Little Shop of Horrors and Rocky Horror Picture Show type of movie. Not no yeah. musical element, but yeah. Well, the original Little Shop didn't have any musical element. Oh yeah, the play. Oh, the uh, the Corman film. I think the Corman film was the first. Well, the first Corman film was the first Little Shop. I'm not sure. The black and white one. I thought. I don't yeah. know think that was the don't quote me (laughs) (laughs) you don't think it was a play i i just know that uh in the like stage production and like most of the other examples they they die at the end but in the um rick moranis like film they live yeah they want a happy ending on it yeah (laughs) i'm sure corman was fucking pissed that's the other thing is like (laughs) this movie has a happy ending but you don't like you don't really feel like it kind of doesn't because they're not good people. Yeah, Mary <laughs> you don't want Paul them to succeed. Are kind of dicks. Like they're like, like yay these these super repressed fucking sub- wannabe suburbanites successfully murdered a Hispanic and fed him to a realtor. And they their restaurant <laughs> ripping they, off a bunch of people. I'm so glad. And the restaurant this entire time that they're like so worried about, uh, you know, making sure they get off the ground and funding is. Uh, he is just like a fancy wine and alcohol collector, and her claim to fame is a uh, enchilada that they want to serve at their restaurant called uh, Country Country Kitchen, I believe is the name of it. Yeah, like Paul and Mary's Country Kitchen. Well, Paul and Mary's Country Kitchen. Yeah, she, Haley got it right too. Paul and Mary's Country <laughs> Kitchen, but the uh, their. Uh, the enchilada is called the bland enchilada, which is funny because it's their last name, but they're, they're asking if they should change the name of the restaurant. It's like, Oh my God. It's like these two white people that want to sell anch- homemade enchiladas at their they country bland kitchen. enchiladas. I remember thinking, I thought oh that so many God. times too. It's like, man, the stakes of this movie are so insanely high. I can't believe police. Well, and then they murder a Latino guy. So I mean, like that's, <laughs> That is yeah. now that you've read into it to that point, like that is interesting yeah. that yeah, you know, no, have these nobody white in this film. Nobody in this film is a good person except for Doris the Dominatrix. No, I mean, but <laughs> what I'm saying is they they want to murder they want to murder Latin culture and murder a Latin guy. You yeah, know, that is yeah, a good point. The very first killing in the entire movie is a minority, and then most of the swingers are white. There's a lot of very very tan people but it, it, yeah, they are but definitely the majority are white and there might be a couple of people of a color like in the background and then raul like obviously a, a you know the titular character but 
<laughs> another person to be killed by a white couple. <laughs> or bland enchiladas. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to read the discussion prompt I wrote because I don't, we've already had such a good discussion and I, I don't know if we want to talk about too much more, but yeah. the prompt that I was going to write was about uh, the evolution of yuppie culture and how this film reflects that, like moving from the 70s open culture to Reagan's more, more confined and capitalist culture and how like we see this sort of return of priggish morality. But on the other hand, they're not wealthy Wall Street types. They're just fucking schmucks yeah it's the beginning of like the <laughs> we're all in this together none of us are making any money yeah well uh you know i recall from the 1980s that my experience with yuppies was family ties which mm-hmm. definitely does not take you know the yuppie side in that particular <laughs> you know yeah. parents are resistant at every turn and Michael J. Fox's character is embracing of it but he's the one who ends up the butt of the jokes you know <laughs> isn't, isn't it weird that Michael J. Fox turned out to be a pretty decent guy and Kirk Cameron's the one that turned out to be the dick right <laughs> just saying that's funny yeah are you, are you going to compare the Back to the Future trilogy with uh, Left Behind for your sci-fi <laughs> oh series. Oh my god, that would be if we ever need fucking something for a Patreon extra, that would be great. <laughs> Watching all the left behinds. I just you do the first three, do side by side readings of the first one versus the first and second versus the second. And a special bonus episode we'll do the the Nick Cage reboot. Yeah. And in another bonus episode would be the, comparing the two video games. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> There's cuz there was, well, I guess there were two Back to the Future video games. There was the adventure one. And oh. The one. And then there was yeah. the Left Behind video game. No, see, I, okay. Yeah, I thought you were talking about a Left Behind video game, which I had no idea existed. I knew that there yes, were, like, bad does. Back to the Future games, but I, I have to look into this Left Behind game now. It, it is an RTS in which you convert your enemies into good Christians, uh, and in which if the people that you convert are women, they cannot become the strongest unit. <laughs> it's I'm there's literally Simpsons episodes. That is a thing. Yeah, there's Simpsons episodes about like the the Flanders kids video games. It's exactly the same thing. And it's an RTS. What a weird genre. <laughs> I we had two uh first person shooter games at my house that were PC games from a Christian company. One was called yeah. Catacumen and the other was Ominous Horizons. And Ominous Horizons is about getting all of the pieces of the Gutenberg Bible back. And Catacumid is about your uh, your master has been taken into the bowels of hell by Satan. And so you have to go through all like Rome and then the Roman catacombs yeah. to get like to like lower and lower levels of hell to finally fight Satan and free your master. It's, see, that's just convenient. That's like the, the robots in G.I. Joe. That's just a sort of a convenient plot hook to be like, oh, you can murder them. Doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> It's, Yo, it's guys a horrible gib shit. <laughs> it's definitely like a Doom slash Quake clone because you have you have swords of the spirit, but they just like sit in front of you and they shoot beams out. <laughs> but that has nothing to do with eating Rowell. Is now the nope. time for a segue to Great end this guy. and go to sketch two? Yeah, uh, someone just rang the dinner bell. <laughs> so let's go, go into the games after the jump. Hey guys, Sunny Five invited me to a cool party called the Butcher's Balls. The fuck is Sunny Five? 
Oh, uh, Sonny Five was an established character for uh, that podcast productions, but uh, that episode didn't make it to air because of censorship and I accidentally overwrote the Zoom file. But uh, don't worry about that. We'll definitely be airing the, the origin story of Sonny shortly. But uh, he's a robot that does Shakespeare stuff. So what's a cool party for you anyway, Cody? Yeah, with a name like that, aren't we going to end up murdered or in a sex dungeon again? No. I mean, no. It, it'll probably be a bunch of dudes sitting around smoking tie sticks and playing music. You know, Sonny's scene. Uh, I got that out of my way in college. Me too. Oh, guys, come on. Don't let me down. It's also a masquerade ball. So uh, you'll need a cape and a Harlequin mask and a top hat of your choice. To sit around and listen to music. I recognize this from somewhere. Hey, Josh. Cool Fabio mask. Uh, Like from a shitty romance novel. Your Harley Quinn mask from that book set is cool, too. Thanks, bud. Guys, I meant a Harley Quinn mask like this one. Also, Superman capes? You two are lamos. Uh, we could just leave. I drove. Let's just, you know. Uh, no, no, no. Stop, guys. Come on. Let's, let's just have a good time. The password is SOSIS. Five minutes later. Hey, have you guys tried the meatballs? That could die for. Almost totally worth ignoring the orgy that Cody made us go to. No, but yeah. <sighs> guys, we gotta go. But the food here... Now! Alright, let's cheese it. I'm sure the food at the orgy not totally hygienic anyway. Like a strip club hot dog. Or a quit stuffing meatballs in your pocket. You're not my mom, are you? Back in the car. Why did we need to leave so urgently? I found out how the sausage is made. Huh? I cannot unsee what I have seen. We were in hell a couple weeks ago. I found out how the sausage is made. Um, I should never have come. I'll never unsee those old people sex I saw tonight. You mad because that old dude wore those sock garters way better than you? No. Really, this is all Sonny Five's fault. That's true. I'm actually surprised that the message came through clear from him. Sonny Five is a translation robot, you idiot. Uh, Sosis is Haitian Creole for sausage. Wait, how the hell do you know that? I once ate at a Creole restaurant. The menu may have mentioned it. Uh, I just texted Sonny Five. Uh, He says he's sorry and that he wants to make it up with us with dinner next week. Hard pass. Welcome back to That Podcast Stays Up All Night, where we absolutely guarantee our locksmithing work against all perverts. Aura, make cannibalism funny again with some games. I absolutely intend to make cannibalism fun with some games. Some funny games. That's, that's, a, that's funny because it, the, the joke is edited out. Um, (laughs) it's, uh, it's my favorite portion of the show, and I'm sure it's Cody's too, because he gets to take a spin of that big old wheel. You want to spin it? Yes, ADR sound clip wheel. Wheel. Do I have to pretend now that it hit something? I don't like it. Ba-ding. Ba-ding, yay! All right, so it landed on 
would you rather uh, cannibalism edition? <laughs> so so uh, the, the rules of this game, I'll ask you guys, who would you rather eat? And I'll, I'll load you up with two, uh, two you know, semi-famous people or famous people, and we'll, we'll see where it goes from there, huh? So uh, would you rather eat Paul Bartel, uh, star of this movie, or Paul Reiser? Oof. This because is gonna. You know who Paul Reiser is, Cody. That 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 particular guy may have aged out on you. I might need a hint. Mad about you? He was the he was the the male lead in that show. I might need uh, a different hint. Aliens? You seen Aliens? Yeah. Uh, he was the corporate guy. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, we gotta about. give Cody a second to think about it, I guess. Josh. <laughs> Ooh, I feel like they'd both be really dry. Uh, I'll pick the Paul from this movie. I'll pick Paul Bartell. Paul Bartell. Yeah, I think I'd go with Riser just because maybe he could, uh, in the process, introduce me to uh, what's his what's her name, the female lead. Sure, sure. Helen Hunt. About you. Paul yeah. Bartell looks like a Paul Giamatti type a little bit too. So I'm hoping by eating him, I will gain some of that. <laughs> yeah. Helen Hunt. Yeah. Definitely. If I could meet Helen, meet Helen Hunt by eating Paul uh, Reiser, all worth it. We'd have something to talk about. Sure. <laughs> you were in, you were in a long running sitcom with Paul Reiser and I ate his flesh in a horrible view uh, <laughs> of cannibalism. All right. <laughs> Would you rather 90s band the cranberries or would you rather 90s band the corn or corn? Oh, the cranberries, <laughs> the corn. The corn. The corn. The corn. Uh, the corn. Yeah, the cranberries. You have no idea when the corn people like showered last. Yeah, I don't That's... know where they've been other than to <laughs> QAnon rallies. Crazy. Jonathan Davies is a fucking crazy asshole now. Plus, those ocean spray commercials always show cranberries in this like giant bog of very nice-looking water. So, I imagine that would be a little bit easier too. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, uh, when I made that one, I was like, "Who's gonna eat corn?" But, but you know, <laughs> there's this sort of delicious irony to eating a a singer who talks about the Irish troubles. That's true. Yeah. One less person in the famine. Hey, listener, if you are the uh, listener who would have rather eaten members of the band Corn than members of the band Cranberries, uh, please send us some viewer mail and explain your thought process. That would be Yeah, in fact, if you have any disagreements with any of it in this, you know, write it and tell us why you would eat celebrities. I absolutely would love to hear some of those answers. If you feel, <laughs> this, if you feel our can, taste This can are... definitely be an interactive one. I, can, I guess I could also even post it to our Facebook thing later. Yeah, we should maybe do that. It's true. I'll, I'll put it on mine. Let us know. Uh, so, uh, Suzanne Summers or Susan Seiger? Susan Sarandon. <laughs> Susan Sarandon was originally in the question, and then I changed it to Susan Seiger, which is doubly funny. Nice job, Cody. Nice. It's that psychic thing. Yeah. Uh, I'd go with Susan Summers. Susan Summers. Yeah. All the, yeah. Feed her, all the workout feed her videos. Af- and share with those African kids. Yep. <laughs> They've been waiting. All right. This one's for Josh only, Cody. Sorry, you're you're out on this one. <laughs> uh, Cody or Kyle? Oh, my God. Oh. 
Both Ooh. of us are smoked meats. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, if you're if you're consuming either one of our flesh, it's got to be aired on like a Vice show. Yeah, I feel like it's I feel like it's got to be Cody. Uh, Kyle's just had so much longer for that the THC to set in. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle's a bat now too. It'd be weird. Yeah. And he's always been kind of real thin, and I imagine that hasn't changed with dadness. Uh, we haven't uh, we haven't planned out our next season of shows yet, but I did want to let the the co-host know. Uh, I talked to Kyle today, and he said he wants to be on next month. So, okay, I just we'll announced find, it on the show. We'll, we'll find him something to be on. <laughs> that, that makes it real, right? When I announce it on the show, so he'll actually show up. I can't. I'm going to tell him live that Josh prefers me, or at least eating me. Yeah, yeah, that'll be yeah, great. I, I don't. I don't prefer you. I prefer the idea of. Good- devouring you <laughs> let's be exact i mean you know it's important it's important to be correct it's that ratatouille i don't like food i love it would you rather <laughs> would you rather eat donald trump or joe biden oh my Ooh. god this is the worst thing That's well it is donald eating trump. people yeah so. <laughs> donald trump i'll do it as a as a uh a, what a sacrifice to the rest of the mankind <laughs> I'm not a Biden fan, but you know Trump. Uh, a, you know, sa- it saves the world, and uh, also Trump's got more meat on him. It's a fatty cut. He's gonna be all stringy. I will be. I will be so shocked if we if we do not contract COVID from this act. <laughs> uh, we're uh, Mary Warnov or Mary Lynn Rice uh, I don't know who you know either of these is? people are. Murray Warnov was in the film we've been talking about for an hour and change. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Who was Mary Lynn? Uh, she was uh, she was Chloe on Twenty Four, but she's been in a ton of things. She's like a a female comedian. Uh, uh, oh, was she on? I think she was the one that was on Mr. Show and used to go out with yes. David Cross. Yeah, there yes. we go. Ooh, I'd eat either of them, ladies. I, I, I was trying to think of awkward women named Mary. That was why I... <laughs> <laughs> I would I would be honored to eat either of them. That's a that's a good answer. The uh, audience can't see my eyebrows waggling. <laughs> you I'll guys go with, can. Uh, I'll go with the David Cross I know what's happening. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, Bill Paxton or Bill Pullman? Oh... <laughs> You know one of those people is dead, right? Yeah, I do. <laughs> well, I'm going with But the... which one, Cody? <laughs> I know Bill Paxton is dead. R.I.P. Bill Paxton. So I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Bill Pullman because uh that meat has gotta be a little fresher. This'll be our independence day, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh with with Paxton. Uh <laughs> If I'm in a situation where I'm cannibalizing someone, things aren't going so well. So it might well be game over, man. <laughs> so speaking of eating the rich, Bill Gates or Elon Musk? Musk. Musk. Far Musk and away, sure. Musk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this, this one will mainly be for Josh, uh, but Cody, you, you, might, you might have an answer too. Lisa Loeb or Gene Groffalo? <laughs> uh, 
I'll I'll eat Lisa Loeb, but that's because I want to leave Janine Garofalo in the world. Yeah. I'd eat Lisa Loeb. And I would also eat both of them in the and, other and, way. And be very happy to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I, I that was that was a, oh, that my was buttons, a setup for buddy. that. Yep. <laughs> I didn't realize you were gonna go that direction with uh be, with uh you do this, the, the uh, slow rub the the slow rub on the chest now. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, Josh, do you work at a bank or something? <laughs> uh the red hot chili peppers or cake oh uh cake i'm not sure what drugs have been marinating inside of them but like i'm, <laughs> I'm way less likely to contract something than eating members of the red hot chili peppers i feel like i would have to eat red hot chili peppers because the cake is a lie Cake is one of my all-time favorite bands. We yeah, the no like, laughter is what that joke deserves. Well, well done. No, I, I was, I was like, I was like, did he make that joke? And I, like, I tripped over it for a second. <laughs> and then I was like, are Cake in on that joke? Like that was that was where my brain just started to fly toward. <laughs> like, uh, uh, John Malkovich or Mila Jovovich? Oh, this is hard. Milia Jovovich, I can't kill an acting treasure. Yeah. Mila Jovovich. Oh, but Mila Jovovich is also an actor. Yeah, she's, but you know. If you're, if you're expecting me to say, well, she's as good as John, Ma no. Yeah, she was. Okay. Uh, yeah, but she was also in that Hellboy reboot, so I'm going to go with the Jovovich as well. I mean, she's fine as as it, you know, as an actress. I don't have anything against her, but it's John fucking Malkovich. Yeah, look, we love Bruce Campbell, uh, a B movie king, but come on, I'm gonna pick, gonna pick an American Malkovich. treasure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, last one: Robert Beltran or John Leguizamo? I I feel like I, I all right. I'm gonna pick John Leguizamo, but that's because I'm gonna eat. I'm going to cut off the feet so I don't have to eat the feet at all, but I'm going to eat him from like the legs up. And I feel like he would be talking to me the entire time. <laughs> like he would be doing stand up. He's like, Oh, oh you're eating me, huh? Oh, that's, that's crazy, man. That's exactly why I would do Beltran. <laughs> I'm not going to listen to John Leguizamo running commentary as I devour him. I'll stop like no. halfway through and be like, Hey, will you do will you do the opening bit from the pest for me? It'll make this easier. Oh, I I, I did think of another one while you guys were talking just now. I'm sorry. Uh, you so really this one's wanna know one. who will eat. No, no, uh no the, no this one's uh this one's um uh theme appropriate here. Uh Rhonda Shear or Gilbert Gottfried? That is a good one. Ooh. Um I kind of want to <laughs> Gilbert's just small. You'll just be hungry again in a few minutes. I know, but I I can't pass up the opportunity to to speak to Gilbert Gottfried like while I'm devouring him. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's all right. You're eating my ass. Why are you devouring pieces of my ass as we speak? Is this because of that Geico tweet? <laughs> Uh, well, that was that was worth the the time we invested into that bit. <laughs> it was a long list. Like I, you know, some behind the scenes bit, I guess, for our listeners. Like I, I suggested this bit going in, or I was like, oh, what should we do for games? And I was like, maybe we can do a bit where we like 
talk about whether we'd eat somebody. And then Aura was like, oh, we could pick between two people. And uh, you came up with an extensive fucking list, buddy. Josh, you really want to know who Cody Josh, and I will kill and eat. You fool, the wheel decides the games. <laughs> All right, well, take another spin of the wheel, Cody. Speaking of, here's wheel spin number two. Tick, 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 tick. Boy, I wonder what wheel spin number two will land on. Tick, 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 tick. Boy, I hope it's consistent with all of our other game themes. <laughs> well, what did it land on, Cody? Oh my gosh, I think it landed on Genre Swap. Genre Swap! What a Genre Swap. Genre Swap's our favorite, uh, our favorite game that we play every uh, episode. What this one is, is uh, we assign each other uh, a genre uh, to retell this movie uh, differently in two. Um, so, uh, I should have thought about this, uh, ahead of time. Uh, so I'm going to, uh, give Cody, uh, oh man, here we go. Cody, you'll love this uh-huh. as Junji Ito style horror. Oh man. Okay. All right. I can do it. Uh, so am I picking you or I pick it Josh, Josh then? Okay. Yep. Josh, uh, damn, I wanted, I wanted to go anime as well, but if you picked a Judge Ito series for me, I want to do something different for Josh. Uh, let's go with, um, it's, it's the same story, but you need to conceptualize it in a prog rock album. So I'm going to need, oh, like, shit. A, I'm gonna need like a track list. <laughs> oh my God. I'll take a minute. Um, <laughs> Aura? Yes. Uh, you were mostly good this episode, so I'll give you a fairly easy one. Uh, <laughs> a teen coming of age drama. Teen coming of age drama, eating Raul style. All right. <laughs> I can uh, I can definitely get started on mine if you guys need some time. You almost have to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, I, and the audience will hear me typing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect. Love that beautiful ASMR. All right. We're going to pretend like uh, Josh's typing is the overlay of me uh, weaving my verbal picture, I guess. Uh, so uh, eating Raul uh, a la Junji Ito. Same sort of thing, except instead of a, an older yuppie couple, we have a, a very young, very, very thin, very pretty conservative couple because uh, that's always the Junji Ito thing. And they, uh, they have some like spats back and forth, but it's nothing like really kind of crazy. It just sets it up from the beginning that they both cook and uh, they're both like uh, very picky. They both kind of like have their own things. So we keep in the same like two separate bed motifs, but like the whole apartment is kind of like that. Like there's, there's like a split half uh, and it's mirrored on both sides and uh, they get cursed somehow, who knows, you know, accidentally kicking an idol, you know, any number of those things, but something uh, indirectly, but very clear to the, the reader cursed happens to both of them. <laughs> and uh, they start having these like weird shivering people like showing up and um, consistently all you see is them like shaking. They don't ever say anything, but it very definitely seems like it's some sort of an attack. And so then instead of a money angle that there's no, you know, light comedy in that sense. Like these people are just like appearing. They don't say anything. They they seem zombie like, but there's no like discoloration to their flesh or whatever. So they start like, uh, you know, they, in just defense, they kill like the first one and then it happens again type of thing. And uh, bit by bit, 
they have they uh, try to like get rid of the uh, evidence like as best as they can, but it's in Japan, so it's a little bit harder to do. So they have like a kiln or something like that in their house uh, or on their property, kind of like an uzumaki, and they're using they're getting rid of the bodies that way. But their apartment slowly starts filling up with like these these people's stuff in a similar situation of like from their cars. They're they're like, oh well, well we can't get rid of the shirts, so I guess they could burn it in the kiln too. But I was just thinking like slowly the house kind of starts to change with it too. That's very Junji Ito. It's like the yes. the background starts to get more more and more dire. Like their look starts to get more and more haggard, and there's no uh, uh, titular Raul character. But basically they end up finding. Uh, they find something in the backyard that they like realize is this artifact that's like been bringing all these people and they they're like oh well let's get rid of it and they like throw it into the ocean and then uh like a week passes and then it's like huge news it's just like this pile of wave of bodies in the ocean and it's like people that have just been like walking towards like it drawn to it they're like oh no what have we done and and that's all i have <laughs> they uh they they kill each other at some point Ooh, scary <laughs> <laughs> all right uh josh uh i think i'll go next if you don't mind yeah that would be best so um so teen coming eating raul as told through uh teen coming of age uh so um i was i was uh where i started to sort of go with this well i was like i was like man like i I need a, like my cast list. So, so I was like, I was like, okay, Seth Green could be a pretty good teen Raul. Right. Um, sure. uh, Carrie Russell as maybe a pretty good, uh, you know, as a pretty good uh, teen, uh, teen Mary. And then, uh, and then I was having a hard time coming up with sort of a, a teen Raul. Uh, but. Um, teen Paul. Or. No, uh, Seth Green's Paul. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. I, I meant, sorry. Yes, I screwed that up. You're right. Uh, Seth Green would be Paul. Carrie Russell would be Mary. And okay, then I couldn't sense. think of a Raul. Yes. Um, uh, you get um, what, the Matthew Lillard. Yes. That's a great answer. Yes. Um, and so what happens is these, you know, the, it's, the, you know, it's, these guys are, you know, you know, 18 and 19 and they're striking out on the their own for the first time, you know, uh, they're getting their first apartment, you know, they're, they're buying cars and they're, they're, they're taking on college loans and all of a sudden the, the money thing just starts to, to creep in on them. Um, so in this coming of age story, these, you know, these, these, these partners in crime discover sex, they discover each other and they discover the taste of human flesh <laughs> that's all I wrote. So that's pretty good. Joshua, uh, can you vamp for a minute? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, so um, the uh, <laughs> I liked I liked in your bit where uh, where where the apartment was was kind of constantly changed. Like it was gaining characteristics of each of its victims. Yeah, there's that's always in the Junji Ito books. Is like it's it's always more than just you know something scary. Like a, it's more than just a demon showing up or being followed by a murder or something like that. It's always like your your circumstance is also changing like outside of your control. 
and especially uh, starting it, like <laughs> having them be anal retentive uh, or especially like symmetrical with like all of the stuff in their apartment, almost like an odd couple type thing. Yes. Like it, it but it just like, it's kind of infecting both sides. Like m- maybe there's like a little bit of blood that they, uh, forget to clean up from one of the victims or like one of the people that is like attacking them. And then next thing you know, it's like, it's extra limbs and stuff. Like each one just takes like a little bit more out of them and they get a little bit more complacent with just like how the place looks. <laughs> yes. Okay. I have eight tracks and that's a, uh, that's a double <laughs> album by yes. That, that's so. an eight track. <laughs> so uh, my album would be called Twilight of the Blands. <laughs> uh, it's going to open with a an, uh, a Das Nibelung theme uh, for the first few, where first one is Das Weingold, <laughs> Rheingold. Uh, second is The Ring of the Pervert. <laughs> uh, the third track would be Brunhilde, the Dominatrix. <laughs> and then I abandoned that theme because always on a on a on a prog rock. Uh, theme album they eventually just wander away and start doing what the fuck ever sure, why not <laughs> so right. fourth one is aquapol uh, <laughs> the, the the fifth one is in the court of the crimson raul oh. <laughs> uh sixth track would be tales from cannibalistic oceans that is a, that is a deep pull yes reference yeah uh seventh one would be uriah buck henry uh, Uriah Heap reference, uh, <laughs> uh, and and the eighth track is Tarkus because Tarkus is fucking awesome. She doesn't like Tarkus. God. Fucking tank armadillo thing on the cover of this fucking ELP album. <laughs> Tarkus is also Tarkus is also a JoJo reference besides Yes albums. <laughs> is it? Is yeah, one hundred percent. <laughs> nice. I have to watch JoJo, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tarkus is a bad guy in part one. Nice. Uh, Tarkus and, and Buford, who is a, another music reference that I do not know. Have you seen the cover of Tarkus? Uh-uh. Oh, share screen coming up. <laughs> <laughs> well, while, while he's looking that up, I'm going to real quickly say uh, we'll, have to bump, uh, we'll have to bump the more you know game till next time. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think this is the fold-out from, I believe it, was a, it, was, it had a fold-out cover. Uh, and then a regular cover, and this is the fold-out. Are you ready? Your yeah. life is about to change. <laughs> That's sick. Marcus. Oh, it falls. Oh, oh, oh my. I'd get a tattoo that of that. What's armadillo doing to that tank? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what it looks like? It looks like a G.I. Joe hiss. It does. <laughs> it, it, it looks like a kid's toy that, that an armadillo has just decided to ride on. Yeah. Fucking great. Love that cover. <laughs> God. All right. Well, that wraps it up for our fun and games portion. We should let Josh have the have the stick and tell us uh, about where these uh where these things ended up and tell us some trivia, huh? Yeah, we sure should. We actually have a fair amount of trivia here. Uh so here's a fun story uh from the AV Club article that I used to source Warnov's opinions uh on this film and others. Uh, she tells a story about her and Paul in interviews. Uh, Paul would claim repeatedly that the two were a married couple, uh, something that was a lot easier to do back in the pre-internet days. 
uh, Mary complained to him and said, don't do it again, because she was married. Uh, so in the next interview, they sat down to the reporter asked if they were in fact a married couple. Uh, no, said Paul, we're divorced. Uh, unfortunately, st the story is not entirely told without bitterness by Waranov, uh, because in the same interview, she claims that Bartles kind of pushed her and some other performers from the Corman years aside as his film started to become more a part of the 80s indie scene instead of the dying exploitation underground that Corman thrived in. Mm. Uh, that said, Mary and Paul would work together again as the Blands in Up All Night movie Chopping Mall, a Jim Wynorski, another uh, Corman protege, uh, awesome. where they make a guest appearance as the characters in the beginning of that film. Uh, there was also a proposed sequel called Bland Ambition. Uh, it was scuttled, I, I think, with a week to production, uh, like a week to, uh, to first shoot, by Vestron pulling out its funding. Uh, Mary Waranov claims that she'd read the script and that her part was greatly reduced from Raul, and she didn't really want to be in it anyway. Hmm. Uh, Waranov. Warnov would go on to appear in, a, I don't know, every other fucking film made until about 2012. Yeah. Uh, she continues to make odd guest appearances, such as in the straight-to-Netflix comedy Frankenstein's Monsters and Monster Frankenstein, which if you <laughs> haven't watched it, fucking watch it. It's like an hour. It has the guy from Stranger Things in it, and it's fucking brilliant. Yeah, the movie's, um, or I, I don't know, a comedy special, I think is what he called it. Yeah, it's, it's a comedy thing. It's great. <laughs> Uh, she's also written several books about her life uh, and is working on a documentary, which I am fascinated to watch. Uh, Beltron would go on to be Chicote, of course. Uh, here's another fun bit of trivia. This one's for you, Aura, from the Waranov interview. All right, I didn't read ahead. Claims, what? I didn't read ahead. She claims that she was originally offered the Janeway part on Voyager after auditioning for it and turned it down to concentrate on her film career. So oh, it, would, wow. it would have been Mary Waranov and Robert Beltran on, on Voyager, which I got to say, no offense to, uh, what's her name who was on it? The crazy woman, the woman who later became a crazy person? Yeah. She's, <laughs> she's okay, but God damn, Robert Beltran and Mary, Mary Waranov, great chemistry, and that would have been a fucking amazing show. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, and I don't know how true any of that is. That's just what Mary Warnoff says in interviews. Oh, they, they, recast, they recast Janeway, God, like three times before they finally landed on um, <laughs> whose name I can't remember. I don't know why. Catherine something, isn't it? Uh, Catherine is, is a right? character name. Yeah, oh, Catherine sorry. Janeway. I don't remember her. It's going to bug me. Who cares? <laughs> yep. Uh, anyway, uh, they, Ed but they Jr. recast her. Yeah, they recast that character several times before it finally hit air. So that would make sense then. God, the show that the shows that never were, you know. Yeah, uh, IMDb is great for that. Uh, so uh, Ed Begley Jr. has played and continues to play a wide assortment of fathers, doctors, politicians, and other authority figures who the directors want to be sympathetic, but not too sympathetic. That's uh, that's that's his uh, yeah his his niche, and he's very good at it. Yep, that's a wheelhouse for sure. Uh, Buck Henry's career had kind of already peaked by the time he was in Raoul. Uh, he had two Oscar nods at that point from co-writing The Graduate and co-directing Heaven Can Wait, uh, and was a co-creator on Get Smart with Mel Brooks. Uh, 
he was SNL's most frequent guest in its first five years with 10 appearances in that time. Uh, he settled into a career doing a lot more guest appearances all over the place before passing away of a heart attack this January uh, at 89 years of age. Uh, by almost any definition of success at life. Uh, Paul Bartles had a more uneven career. His follow-up, the screwball comedy, not for publication, apparently flopped, although I could not find box office figures. It was a $3 million comedy, and I assume it just didn't draw that much. Uh, apparently, and I couldn't find figures on this either, uh, a Western satire called Lust in the Dust, which is another up-all-night movie, uh, did better. Uh, 1989's scene from the class scenes from the class struggle in Beverly Hills was a bit of a cast reunion for Raul with the return of Warrenov, Beltran, Begley Jr., and Susan Sager, who had played Doris to Dominatrix in the earlier film. Uh, Warrenov remembers it as his last movie as director, which is not exactly correct. Uh, he had another movie called The Shelf Life that he directed, which I don't I, I can't find indications as to it finding distribution. Like it has IMDb listings, but it doesn't list it ever being sh like put out anywhere. Uh, Warrenov also claims that uh, that class struggle in Beverly Hills was something of an attempt at an apology from Bartle, uh, who had who knew at that point that he was not going to be directing many more features due to his career kind of fizzling a bit. Uh, he did continue to work as an actor, mostly in supporting parts, until 2000, uh, when he passed away of a heart attack after surviving liver cancer surgery. Uh, he made one final posthumous film appearance uh, with, you know, with footage that had already been shot uh, in the in the film Perfect Fit, uh, where he played Dad alongside Mary Warrenov's mom. All right. Well, that was a sad note to end on. Thanks, Josh. <laughs> a bit of a journey. It's kind of okay. we kind of basically discussed Paul Bartle's career. I don't know what we're going to talk about when we do Lust in the Dust. Yeah. I've given you the guy's career. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, how about we talk about one thing this week, huh? Yeah. Uh, oh. I can go ahead and start. Uh, mine's short. Uh, I I uh I started in on watching uh some Arrowverse stuff, some Arrowverse TV shows. Uh so the only thing that I've actually uh finished is uh this movie called uh Goke the Body Snatcher from Hell. <laughs> Are you familiar with this one, Josh? Can't say I am. Uh it's uh it's this crazy uh Japanese horror film from nineteen sixty eight. Uh it's uh if I were to describe it to somebody uh, it, well, it, who I would be describing it to would be Josh in this case. Um, it's uh, Event Horizon plus stuff. <laughs> uh, and it was, uh, so uh, listeners, uh, longtime listeners of our show might understand uh, my love for Event Horizon, first of all, but we'll also have, have heard of the movie Stuff because, of a, because of, a, of a show we did on it a long time ago now, I guess. Um, well, we never did stuff, I don't think. I thought we did stuff. I don't think we did. Oh. Maybe not, then. You're talking about the stuff? The stuff. Yeah. Okay. Oh, mate, mate, did we just, did you and I just watch it, then? Uh, I've watched it. I don't know if I've watched it with you. Well, I w the only circumstance I would have seen it in would be either with you 
or for the huh? show. So possibly, anyway, man. Nevertheless, I, I just I don't remember us watching it. It's okay, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Um. So so it, it's this uh these these uh this whole plane full of people are diverted because of a because of a bomb threat on an airplane. Um. And they end up crashing on an island. And uh, this island just happened to have had a UFO uh land there uh, recently, and the aliens start invading the people's bodies. Classic. And it's Japanese horror, so you can uh, sort of fill in the rest of the pieces as to what mm-hmm. happens next. This is a DVD or did you watch it on television? This was a, a part of the that Eclipse series I've been working through. Uh, well, I guess this was a different Eclipse uh, series, but it's another Eclipse series, a Criterion Eclipse okay. collection. Yeah. I think you know that I thought about buying the collection that it was on at one point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I will happily pass this one along to you. Because uh, yeah, uh, cool. I only have the one movie. What I did was I, I went on the old eBay and I, I found somebody who was selling just like a miscellaneous pile of yeah. Eclipse Collection movies. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this would be a fun like sampler so that I could like figure out if I want you know the rest of the collection that it comes in. And uh, I might choose to get the rest of this collection based on this one movie because it was pretty strong. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, yeah, so. Uh, I'll go ahead and do mine. Uh, in an attempt to break up my reading of Warhammer 40K books, which I love, but I, I don't know if I want to be the guy that just reads Warhammer 40K books, uh, I decided to read John Stakely's Vampire Dollar Sign, which was made into a film by John Carpenter at one point. Mm. James Woods, it wasn't a great film. Uh, but I was always kind of interested in the concept because it's about, you know, like hunting vampires as a commercial endeavor. Um, it's a really good book. Like, I'm, I'm not quite finished with it yet. I'm about two thirds. Uh, and it's definitely written in a sort of, it, it came out in like 90 and it's definitely written in a sort of older boys adventure form. Like, you know, the boys go out and fight and the women uh, run the homestead. So if you, uh, if, if you're unable to deal with uh, the fact that the author probably holds some kind of conservative views, then it's probably not going to be enjoyable. <laughs> but his his writing style is really fluid and interesting, and it uh, it moves along at a very interesting pace. Uh, hmm. The author only ever wrote two novels and some stories, so that and Armor, which is a better known book, apparently. Uh, this week, uh, I could definitely recommend Mission Hill. We uh, we rewatched like uh, I think every it's there's only the one season if you don't know it's a cult classic uh, cartoon created by uh, two of like the best writers on The Simpsons as well as like many other credits Bill Oakley and Josh Weinstein and uh, it's a really Josh great Weinstein from Mystery Science Theater yeah yeah they both have like amazing careers and uh, I have heard I follow both of them on Twitter and I definitely. Uh, believe that they are shopping the like reboot or trying to get the reboot of Mission Hill going and it would take place not in current time but like sometime in the future from Mission Hill where it's like the 2000s is the theme and Kevin is in college and uh or like Kevin has finished college and is coming back or something along those lines uh it, some new conceits to get uh Kevin and Andy back together <laughs> That comic book convention episode gets me every time. (laughs) 
don't think I've ever seen it. I should watch it. It's all on YouTube. You can watch all of it on YouTube. And the, the best thing that we uh, noticed when re-watching it is Tom Kenny is a background voice actor, but uh, most of the episodes, he is like 70% of the extra characters in that show doing like different accents and stuff. Uh, yeah, that's Tom Kenny. Because <laughs> they, uh, they <laughs> the Comic-Con... They're doing the big reveal thing of who the speaker is going to be. And it's like the George Lucas pre-recorded message. And it's like, oh, I can't be there. So I'm proud to introduce today's guest. And he like reads off the name. And he's like, who is from, oh, Return of the Jedi. And it's uh, one of the people who is like an Ewok. And we started cracking up just anyway. But then the Ewok starts speaking. And it's absolutely just Tom Kenny's voice. We are like, oh, my God. <laughs> Nice. Hey, we got any uh, viewer mail this week? No viewer mail, but no if you want mail. to send us viewer mail, I would I would love to hear about who you would eat. <laughs> which one of the which one of the podcast hosts would you eat? Uh, yeah, there you go. That's a good. That's a. Uh-huh. Uh, which, Open it uh, up. You are you already said yours, Josh. Uh, so. Uh, uh, no, I said who I would eat between Kyle and Cody. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> So I guess I'm still in the running. Yeah, no, that yeah. makes sense. Also, the audience would pick between the three of us, which would yeah. be different. Yes. Uh, I would. I wouldn't eat myself. I'm not. I'm not flexible enough. <laughs> what if we sectioned it out surgery, for you? like Marilyn Manson, <laughs> aka the guy from The Wonder Years? <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna start that rumor back up, huh? <laughs> You'll start two rumors back up. That's true. <laughs> you mean Marilyn Manson, the guy from Clone High, another amazing one season canceled cartoon. All right, get out of here. That podcast stays up all night. It's been a presentation of that podcast productions. You can find all our podcast blogs and assorted nonsense on thatpodcastproductions.fireside.fm. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search that podcast stays up all night slumber party on Instagram at uh, that.podcast.productions and on Twitter at that productions if podcatchers are your thing you can find us at uh that pod productions or that podcast productions on stitcher spotify google Podcasts, and itunes or you could just add the rss feed from our website who uh, who does the art cody our art is done by the fantastic abby you can find her work on her instagram her uh official instagram is rosari art r-o-z-a-r-i-a-r-t rosari art and uh, she is also available for commission work. Our logo looks kick, badass. Kick, kick her mm-hmm. some work. God, she's uh, she's had uh, she's been stuck in quarantine two weeks longer than everyone else because of being stuck in the in uh, in Europe. So, <laughs> Josh, uh, what's our sister uh, show all about? Well, I think you want to you want to mention that they, people can subscribe and review and. Uh, I should subscribe and review and email us comments at that dot podcast dot Oh, I'm sorry. I, just, I, I scrolled down and I scrolled past that's, that. I apologize. That's fine, buddy. If you like girls and you like comics and you like underrated new wave band, talk, talk, you should listen to our sister podcast, girls talk comics. It's the best short comics podcast that we are affiliated with. Oh, and sadly it has nothing to do with mixed artists, girl talk. Go to girlstalkcomics.fireside.fm today. So next time on that podcast stays up all night. Every movie is a TV movie when the theaters are closed.
It's Murder 101 with Remington Steele and a chick who played the waitress in Spaceballs. <laughs> well, that does it for that podcast. Stays up all night. Until next time, keep your dogs fed and your apartment complexes pervert free. It means you're not allowed over, Aura. Oh, whatever. I do what I want.